Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, September 27th, the 2020 French Open officially underway. It's rare that we get a Sunday start date to these Grand Slams, and we can debate the effectiveness of them on a later time. I know I speak for all of us when I say it's just great to see all of our favorite players back on court. It remains a thrill that we get to see this much tennis, given that we're in the midst of a global pandemic. Of course, we talked about how that might affect the action. We talked about the biggest storylines. We gave our predictions, broke down the draws for all of our preview content. Now comes the fun part. Now we get to actually talk about the tennis that we see played out. And of course, what we want to do here on these recap podcasts throughout the week, talk about each day's set of matches. We'll give our match breakdowns of the best two, three, four, sometimes maybe even five matches on the day. Go into them in depth. Of course, we'll talk about the biggest upsets. We'll talk about the matches that go the distance. We'll give a general run-through through the rest of the matches uh, seen that day as well. We'll preview the next day's events. Uh, and, of course, we'll talk about any storylines that emerge along the way. Now, it's going to be our usual cast of characters joining us throughout the week here on the Mini Break. It's also worth noting, we know the action is happening in France here on the East Coast of the United States. I think that's five, maybe four or five hours ahead of where we are now. And so what we're we're going to try and do scheduling-wise. We're going to try to record these sometimes, sometime between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. East Coast. Get them out to you each night. That way you can either listen to them as you're going to bed or as you wake up in the morning. Get ready to watch the next day's matches. With that in mind, joining me on a day one recap for a Grand Slam, as he so often has during our time here at Cracked Rackets. You, of course, know him as a former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, one of your favorite favorites, Cracked Rackets writers, if I can ever get him to write a piece again, and of course, the older brother of Nick Stokowiak, Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, how are you feeling today? Grand Slam on a Sunday. It's not often you get to say that. No, it's not. I, I like the Grand Slam on a Sunday, but man, this this one felt a little bit different. I, I know we're both going to feel the same way here. Just some of these weird results, weird matches, um, obviously, I, I enjoyed it for the most part, but it, it was—it just had a different feel, man. Roland Garros in the fall is definitely different than Roland Garros in the spring, um, and and the players know it too. I mean, they've got to make several adjustments out there, and there was just a lot of crazy results, which we're about to get into. Yeah, no, it was really fun. And I want to talk about the scheduling. You know, I want to talk about on the grounds what it looked like. Not the scheduling, excuse me, the conditions to start our conversation today because you're absolutely right. It was a weird day of tennis, and there was talk going into this event. Well, they changed the balls. They're a bit heavier. They're a bit slower, and obviously we're playing in the fall, not the summer. Conditions a bit more damp. That means these courts are going to play slower. We saw that manifest itself on day one's Let's just start there. I know fall in France, it's a weird thing to say, or at least that's not the Paris indoors. We're playing outdoor clay tennis, and there were points throughout the day, Maddie, where I legitimately thought it was impossible to hit a winner. I mean, it, we'll talk about the Dan Evans match in a second, but whether it was him, I mean, at some points, just Miomir Kasmenovich, I can go on and on and on. These players were having difficulty getting the ball past the service line. Yeah, they were. It, it was a real problem. And it, it just, again, it was weird to watch. I mean, obviously the French Open is always slower. It's it's red clay. But at the same time, I mean, you could just tell, man, the, the kind of the, you know, the rainy, damp conditions mixed with these new Wilson balls that they're playing with. I mean, that ball is not going through the court whatsoever. I mean, out of all the matches that I saw, almost all of these it looked like Wawrinka probably was hitting the ball through the court the best. I mean, just with how strong he is, it looked okay for him. But almost everybody else, man, was really, really struggling. It was 
it was weird to watch. I mean, I just, I can't recall a French Open, you know, obviously ever looking like this because we, we never see it in September in the fall in, in Paris. But uh, yeah, I mean, all of these players are going to have to make a big time adjustment. The ones that played today, now they kind of know what they're in for. If they did survive their matches, um, at least they can be a little bit more prepared for next round. Yeah, I thought one of the takeaways, and it's something I'm going to keep in mind as I make my GSP Ace of the Day picks these next two days. Just a reminder to you listeners, French Open first round played over the course of the first three days. It allows them a lot of flexibility later on in the tournament. And again, I... I trying not to advocate for a cause here, trying to stay focused, but I love the Sunday start. Quick, I guess, tangent. Are you a guy, do you have one screen's football, the other's tennis? Uh, Multiple screens. Multiple screens. (laughs) So, I mean, we've got iPad, we've got computer monitor, we've got TV going, we've got multiple screens, man. So, yeah, just a little bit of everything. I can't miss anything, you know? Yeah, that's the imagery I I wanted our listeners to hear. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah, there was tennis across the board, but um, it it led to funky results, absolutely. And we saw, you know, the players who got to play qualifying matches, the players who became more accustomed to these conditions, they certainly uh, were able to equate themselves well to the play today. A couple of qualifiers, whether it be Yon Astra Sharma, who it wasn't an upset, but she knocked off Blinkova in three sets. You know, you could just tell uh, it helped for her to have, uh, or Chechenato today, I guess, over Demon Hour, to have those practice reps get accustomed to these conditions. But yeah, let's get into our matches and the place I want to start a match I alluded to earlier. Uh, let's start with Dan Evans versus Kei Nishikori. Now, of course, it was added incentive for me heading into this match. Not only was it one of the first ones of the morning, but it was one of my picks for GSP Ace of the Day. And I texted both you and Jamie McDonald last night with my picks. I said, hey, I know both Evans and uh, Demon Hour are underdogs, but they're both seeds. They're playing two guys that I figure, you know, they. I, I think if they stay disciplined, I think they're the fitter of the two players. I think they are the more disciplined of the two players. I think they should win their matches. And it started off, you know, so right, right? I text you at 7.50 and I'm like, hey, Dan Evans, 6-1 first set. Let's go. Obviously, yep. that match was flipped uh, on its head. Kei Nishikori comes back 1-6, 6-1, 7-6, 1-6, to knock off Dan Evans. Kei Nishikori continues to be just so exceptional in third sets ma- or in fifth sets. But how do you think he was able to get over the hump in this one? What were your thoughts on this match? Well, he just stuck with it, and and he was more aggressive. I mean, he actually, Kay, was the guy that was coming into the net more than Dan Evans. And we would think, right, Dan Evans is the guy that loves to play around the net, chip and charge, you know, but this is slow red clay. He was running for his life, man. I mean, Evans was all over the place. He couldn't get the ball through the court. I mean, it just, it looked funky. It was just weird. And and he was always kind of on the defensive. I will say that third set tiebreaker was pretty crucial. I mean, Evans went up a quick mini break, um, you know, 2-0 in that tiebreaker and then ended up losing like seven out of the next eight points or like six out of the next seven points, something ridiculous. And he ended up losing that third set which I think was pivotal, even though he did respond to come back and and win the fourth very easily, but then he got down 3-0 in the fifth. It was just a very topsy-turvy match. Neither guy ever really looked comfortable. I mean, even Kay, you could tell, like, he was ahead in the fifth set, but, I mean, he was not pleased with his game whatsoever. This truly was kind of just a winning, ugly match that Nishikori was able to pull out because he got a big lead in the fifth, but um, I don't think either one of these guys is going to be happy with their play, and it's certainly not a match that, you know, even though it was five sets, we're going to remember years from now, oh, you know, remember that first round match, Nishikori Evans, it was, uh, the, the quality was not that great, to say the least. Well, it feels worth reminding at multiple times in this match, Dan Evans had opportunities to take control. And you talk about it, Dan Evans races out to that 6-1 first set lead. He wins two 6-1 sets in this match, yet manages to lose the match. There were three 6-1 sets in this yep. match. Again, I, it feels worth bearing, uh, repeating the stat. Rafael Nadal lost four sets 6-2 or worse over the course of five years on clay. In this match, three sets 6-2 or worse alone. That just shows how ridiculous that stat is. But... 
yeah, I mean, you look overall in the stats, and by the way, shout out to the French Open uh, website, whether it be rally statistics, you can learn, you know, who won total amounts of points, was it zero to four short rallies, five to eight medium rallies, nine plus rallies, and, you know, in terms of total points, Dan Evans, 134, Kane Ishikori, 132, in this match, you know, Dan Evans came back from, what was it, 4-1 down in the third set. It seemed like he was just, after winning that first set, you're absolutely right. Evans was just not able to get a ball through the court at all. And you look in this match, again, one of the fun stats here, in the nine-plus long uh, shot rallies, Kane Ishikori, 28.1, Dan Evans, 21.1. It felt like target practice for Nishikori at some points. That slice was just sitting in the middle of the court. He had Dan Evans on the string going corner yeah. to corner to corner to corner to your point, you look at the total stats in this match, Nishikori, a really effective 39 of 66 at the net, cutting off that angle, taking time away. Now, Dan Evans did Dan Evans a little bit in this match. He threw in some slices. He was better on the move than you would expect for a guy who obviously isn't most comfortable on the clay compared to other surfaces, but he fought hard in this match. 37 winners against 37 unforced errors for Evans. For Nishikori, 41 one winners against 55 unforced errors, but I kind of like that. He kept putting pressure on Dan Evans. He kept moving forward, and to Evans' credit, he was able to come up with a bunch of good passing shots, but in the end, it's really hard to do that best of five sets, and he just wasn't able to uh, out-hit Nishikori. He wasn't able to do enough damage, able to hurt Nishikori in easy ways to get over the hump in this one. No, and I mean, there neither guy's serve was really penetrating the court. And I mean, I will give credit. Look, both guys, Dan Evans fought hard. I mean, he was not playing well. You could see him getting visibly frustrated. He'd look up to his box. He was unhappy because he knew that the, the conditions were just not well suitable at all out there. Um, and, and he continued to fight, you know, you mentioned down 3-0, 4-1 in the fifth, he came back, he gave himself a chance, but at the end of the day, Nishikori was the more aggressive player, he was willing to come into the net, he did botch some volleys that were really, I mean, kind of god-awful too, that, you know, you wouldn't even think, you know, a, a junior player would miss those, Nishikori, you know, looking up to the, to the skies after those, but he did it enough, and, you know, he came out on top, I just think, going forward, He's got to play so much better. He's in the Rafa Nadal little section of the draw there. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to even get to Rafa in the third round, he has to step his game up or else he's not going to be really any threat. See, to me, what this felt a lot like was Andy Murray beating Nishioka in round one, where it's like, hey, that's a great win, but I still don't expect you to do any damage in this event. Like, right. winning one match, that's a victory for you. Coming back from injury, we forget Kane Nishikori tested positive for COVID-19 prior to the start of the U.S. Open. It's why he had to pull out of play in New York. Uh, he was finally healthy and hoping to play. Obviously, uh, he wasn't able to do that. And look, all the credit in the world to him. You're absolutely right. As I mentioned, between, you know, for set two, Two through set, halfway through set three, it was target practice for him. You're like, oh yeah, this is the Kei Nishikori who's inside the baseline, taking balls early, taking time away from you, who's just a sure thing to make a quarterfinal of every Grand Slam he plays. Now, obviously, he's not quite back at that level yet, but there were enough positive glimpses in this match, and then for him to ultimately get through the finish line, that I was very encouraged with his performance. Now, again, disappointing for Dan Evans. Great fight from him on a day when you're Right, the conditions were just not in his favor. But overall, the takeaway is Kei Nishikori a step closer to getting back to where he wants to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, anytime you can win a match like that in a major... Look, I mean, it was ugly, but but who cares? I mean, he's moving on. At the end of the day, all you have to do is win the match, you know, when you step out on the court. And if you're better than the other guy, that, that's really all that matters. And, and he played just well enough to beat Dan Evans today. So credit to him. Um, I just, he knows, we all know that if, if he's going to make, you know, any kind of a run here whatsoever, um, it's going to have to look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you, and so we will see how he continues to perform. Probably a guy who's most thrilled about getting that Sunday start moving forward, the prospect of rest down the road, uh, something that, yeah, he will certainly want to take advantage of should he make a deep run in this event. Now, we talked about how Evans versus Nishikori, not the prettiest of tennis, a very, very high-quality match in terms of level of play. Our next match I want to break down, an upset on the women's side, Caroline 
Caroline Garcia, who we all know can be a very dangerous player in the draw, unseated. She drew number 17, Annette Conteve, a player you know, Maddie, and our listeners know I have been quite high on. She was a finalist in Palermo in August, quarterfinals in Cincinnati, round of 16 at the U.S. Open. Both of those matches she lost to Naomi Osaka, obviously, and someone who I thought came in with a ton of confidence and someone who honestly played really well in this match. But Caroline Garcia, dare I say, Garbine Muguruza-esque in her performance today, 6-4-3-6-6-4. Is that an apt comparison, Maddie? Yeah, I think that's fair. And and this was one of the few matches that I actually picked correctly. I, I knew this was upset alert. <laughs> Garcia, just, I mean, look, it's in France. She's got crowd support, former top 10 player. She's very dangerous. I mean, as a seed, you know, Contivate, you don't want to draw Caroline Garcia in early rounds. Remember back to the U.S. Open, even Garcia drew, I can't even remember who it was um, a few weeks ago in Flushing Meadows, but she also drew a seeded player and was able to come through there as well. So um, interesting here, but but what's crazy about this is it was so dead even. It was a very good match, high quality. I thought this match compared to the Evans-Nishikori uh, match was a higher quality um, of tennis that was being played. And it was almost dead even all across the board. But the difference in this match, Gruskin, and this is kind of what I was shocked by. I didn't know if it would go down like this. But Caroline Garcia actually played more aggressive at the end of the match, she stepped it up and was the aggressor where you would totally think that that would be a net contivate, right? I mean, going in, even I knew that I picked Garcia, but I still thought, okay, I mean, she's going to be counter punching and all of that. Garcia actually was very, very aggressive in this match. She had 41 winners compared to Contivate's 26. I never would have predicted that. It was actually really fun to see. And I mean, when Garcia can play at that level, I mean, she can definitely make a run. Former top 10 player. She knows what she's doing. She's in Paris, has the crowd support. Um, I thought it was a very high quality match from both players, but, but Garcia really even more so. I mean, she stepped it up and really took that match Contivate didn't lose it by any means. Garcia earned that win, and it was fun. You said dead even at the start, Maddie. Total points won, 88 apiece between Garcia and Contave. And to there you your go. point, Caroline Garcia, 6176 winner, second round of the U.S. Open over Carolina Pliskova. So you're absolutely yep. right. We saw her have a big win just in New York uh, just a few weeks ago. And what I meant by Muguruza S gets to another one of your points. Five foot ten is Garcia. The way she leverages that length to take balls early, to be in inside the baseline to be, again, attacking and changing direction. And in this match, 20 of 23 at the net, smartly moving forward when the opportunity presented herself. And I just thought it was a really smart match tactically on a clay court. It's what you want to do. And yeah, there were streaks of errors, you know, undeniably. 34 unforced errors to go along with those 41 winners. But the fact that she stayed aggressive, she hit through those errors. And to your point, Conteve, up a break 3-2 in the third, up a break 4 three in the third. Uh, She wasn't able to get over the hump. Caroline Garcia was the more aggressive of the players. She was taking second serve returns inside the baseline, down the line, or cross court early, getting Conteve stretched. And, you know, to your point, Conteve, two to one winner to unforced error ratio, 26 to 13. That's good. It just wasn't good enough in this one because Caroline Garcia was just too aggressive, too strong through the finish line. And now the draw opens up nicely for her. I, you know, even if she holds seed now, takes Conteve's place, a third round matchup between her and Mertens, that's absolutely worthy of a third round, even, you know, a second week matchup at the French Open. Yeah, no question about it. And that's that's where I have Garcia in my bracket. I have her in the third round matching up with Mertens. And uh, I believed I picked Elise Mertens in that match over Garcia, but I think she's definitely going to reach uh, the third round. And man, I mean, if she plays this way, look, what's what's weird about this is we're not used to seeing Caroline Garcia play that type of aggressive tennis. I mean, we know what we're going to get out of Contivate. That's really not a surprise to me. Um, If she plays that way, man, I mean, she'll cause problems for Mertens too. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if she won a match like that. So I do think she has a real opportunity going forward um, if she continues this level of play. 
Yeah, I would point out again, Annette Contebay beat Caroline Garcia first round last week in or two weeks ago in Rome, six three seven six in a match that was a battle. So this is nothing against Annette Contebay. It's exactly Caroline Garcia making the adjustments. It's so difficult to beat one of these top players two weeks in a row, especially if yeah, and especially if you beat them, you know, the week before. And it's a credit to her the way she competed in this match. You would think she probably won the short points, right? No, Contebay fifty five zero to in zero to four short rallies, Caroline Garcia forty seven. Now in this medium rallies, five to eight shots. That's where Garcia's patterns started to emerge. You know, plus one ball, then a down the line ball, following that in with a volley. She won thirty four points on those five to eight shot rallies. Conteve only twenty six in a match that was again tied in terms of total points. It was the little things that made the difference. And for Caroline Garcia, she had enough different ways of attacking Annette Conteve, enough different ways of keeping Conteve on her back foot. And yeah, I'm really impressed with her moving forward. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see now where she goes in the draw. Of course, she was not the only woman to pull off an upset on the day. There were a couple more, Maddie, that I want to talk about now. And the rest of the way, I kind of just want to filter through the draw. It's not going to be as in-depth of breakdowns, but still kind of talk about these matches. The other seeds going out, Coco Goff, 6-3-6-3 over Joe Conta. Daria Gavrilova, 6-4-6-3 over number 24 seeded Diana Yastremska. Either of those upsets shock you? Well, yeah. I mean, because I was wrong in both. <laughs> I, I mean, I picked Yastremska. I picked Kanta. Um, so clearly, what do I know, right? But for Kanta, that match against Goff, that was really kind of just a walk in the park. I mean, way way too many errors from the racket of Joe Conta. I'm sorry. She had like over 40 unforced errors, something ridiculous. Um, You're just not going to win that way. And it started very early in the match. I mean, you could just tell she was pressing um, and and the shots weren't falling today. And Goff, you know, credit to her. I mean, she just kind of stayed the course and and played solid. Um, Not a super pretty match there, but uh, yeah, no, it's awesome. I'm I'm, I'm happy for Goff. I I was rooting for Goff. Um, I had just picked Conta. I was not excited expecting the rash of unforced errors that we got off her racket. Yeah, I would say, to your point, Goff competed really well, but this result yeah. had a lot to do with Conta just in these conditions. Not, she could not find her rhythm today. And, you know, Coco Goff, at this point, yeah, she's 16 years old, but she's too good. Her floor as a tennis player, too high. She's going to ask too many questions for you that if your game is off, that if you're pressing, you fall in right into her trap. So that was a great win, and I agree. Not a shocking one. One that, you know, I probably, I, I think I did pick Conta, but it's not one I'm shocked about, one we talked about early on as upset alert. For Yastremska Gavrilova, I'll just say this. Yesterday, when I was going through my picks for GSP Ace of the Day, and I was a little bit rushed because, of course, we're hosting a Cracked Rackets tournament this weekend. My eyes focused on the boys' 14s, the girls' 14s, and 16s events there. And believe me, I have stories that we'll save for our Patreon subscribers on the next mailbag. But, you know, I was I was looking at her odds. I think she was minus 500 yesterday, which is a pretty significant favorite. And... I just don't think Diana Yastrzemska at this point should be minus 500 against anyone. She's as likely to beat Simona Halep as she is to lose to Daria Gavrilova. The range of outcomes right yeah. now, it's just it, it's in, it's just so immense because with all due respect, you just you never know which Diana Yastrzemska is going to show up and there's only one speed for Yastrzemska. It's hit through everything at all times and on the day she's locked in that power, that athleticism, it's scary good. But on the day she's not locked in erratic doesn't even scratch the surface of where those balls land she's playing on philip chatrier she still is hitting balls to the courts in rome like it's unbelievable sometimes how erratic her game can get in so again i don't want to take away credit from gravrilova who the backhand slice just kept throwing yastremska out of her strike zone she kept lunging for these shots instead of moving her feet there moving in behind those balls and that's a credit to gavrilova who made the match physical who tracked down a lot of shots but to the answer of did that upset surprise me no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, obviously I picked Yastremska. I, I should have known better on the clay. I mean, she was disappointing in, at the U.S. Open a few weeks back, and now another disappointing result here uh, for seeded, you know, Yastremska. And again, just like 38 unforced errors off her racket. I mean, just way, way too many. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, she's got to find a way 
when her game isn't clicking, and we say this about a lot of people, but you know, that just kind of go one speed, she's got to find a way to dial it back just a little bit and and play with some consistency. And it's hard. Look, I know the aggressive mindset. I used to play a lot of tennis back in the day. I was very aggressive. <laughs> I would do the same thing. I mean, I wasn't one to sit out there and grind for three hours. I wanted to get the match over in an hour and a half or less. Um, if I was firing that day, I was going to win. If not, I was going down three and four. And you know what? Who cares? Who needs to play a third set? So I understand the mindset, but at this level, if she really wants to take the next step, you know, be a top 10 player in the world, she's going to have to adjust. There's no question. Yeah. And it's very easy to play armchair quarterback. Of course. Hey, Diana, stay focused. Hey, Diana, scale it back a little bit. Well, you're not in her head. You're not playing the matches. You don't know what she's most comfortable on a tennis court doing. And I acknowledge all of that. I also acknowledge that she threw us off the stench with her, you know, wins over Anisimova and Georgie in Rome. Then she plays Halep really close in that round of 16 match. At the same time, having watched that Anisimova match, having watched that Georgie match, her winning them was downright thievery. Like, again, there there were points in those matches where you're like, what is she doing on a WTA-level event? And then there are times like, how is she not the number one seed at this event with just her relentless power? And, you know, she has acknowledged it. Uh, after the U.S. Open, I, I think she was talking to Mike McIntyre of Tennis Canada. I don't remember who it was. And she said, look, I... There's a lot of confusion with me in my game right now, and obviously she recently split with her coach, Sasha Bajin, and we know that. I'm just speaking from a fan perspective. She's not in the Zverev zone because Zverev is... Yeah, as frustrating as he can be, it's more consistent than Diana Yastrzemska, at least at the slams of late. But there are times in every Diana Yastrzemska match where you're like, this player belongs in the top 20 at a minimum at all times and should be fighting her way to work towards the top 10. And unfortunately, that's just not the case too often. And as a fan, to see someone that talented uh, continue to struggle, it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It is. I mean, the potential's there. That's that's kind of the exciting thing is we know like mm-hmm. there's a lot to unlock, and and once she finds it, uh, I think she'll be okay. It's just it's a matter of you know learning to adjust on the fly. A lot of players have to do that. It's definitely not easy. But again, if if she wants to make this progress and and jump into the top ten, be a perennial you know contender at every single event, um, then that's something that she's going to have to figure out how to do. She was one of my most interesting women to watch heading into the U.S. Open because I continue to believe in her upside. I think there's that elite tier, and I, I apologize for repeating myself, but the Osaka's, the probably Bianca Andrescu's, the Madison Keys belongs in that tier, the you know Diana Yastrzemska belongs in that tier of players who just hit the cover off of the ball. Sabalenka belongs in that tier uh, where you're just like, oh. If plan A is working for you on a good day, Carolina Pliskova, you're just you're going to beat your opponent because you hit them off the court. Uh, but these players also, and it's a consistent theme, you might see many characteristic traits, except for probably Osaka and Andreescu, where it's like, but what's your plan B? What's your plan C? What are you going to do when things go wrong, as they inevitably do over the course of a two-week slam? And that continues to be a question for her, and I think it's one of the most fascinating questions of the next five years in women's tennis, because she is one of the few players who has that sort of upside where she could be dominant, not just good, dominant. And so that's why we spend five minutes talking about a straight set first run loss for Diana Yastrzemska, uh, because obviously in terms of her tennis ability, uh, we know she is far more capable than that. But again, three upset on, on the day on the women's side. We have Kanta going down, Kanta Vey going down, and Yastrzemska going down. On the men's side, it was the four upsets. We talked about Dan Evans uh, losing his match to Nishikori, joining him in terms of exiting in the round today. Uh, Dr. David Goffin, straight set loss to your man, the Sin Man, Maddie. Yannick Sinner, 7-5, 6-love, 6-3 to start the day. Obviously, got tennis Twitter. It was the coffee everyone needed. Uh, and I say it was the coffee everyone needed, Maddie, because believe me, it filtered out all of the sh- on tennis Twitter, but uh, in terms of, you know, some, wow, I thought I thought that was going to get a bigger laugh from you. I almost was ready to pause for it. Anyways, Westoff, can I get like a laugh track or something there? Uh, just, yeah, yeah, go back and throw that in. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, anyways, to continue, Matty, Yannick Sinner, obviously 7-5, 6-love, six, 6-3. Six, uh, he was a winner on the day. Gombos four sets over Chorich, Chechenato, straight set win over 
Alex and what was just a – it was a funky one. I think there were nine breaks of serve through the first two sets, something crazy like that. Your thoughts on the men's upsets, which of them surprised you the most? Oh, man. I mean, really all of them, to be honest. Like, the scoreline, all three of those were very, very surprising for GoFan. And you'll you'll remember, Gruskin, obviously on our draw preview pod – I picked GoFan to go very deep in this tournament. I had been picking against him for the longest time, and I said, you know what? I'm done with that. I actually like GoFan. I'm tired of picking against him. I got to give this guy some credit. And sure enough, he goes out in the first round to Yannick Sinner, who obviously I love as well. Um, But the U.S. Open a few weeks ago, Sinner drew Karen Hashinov in the first round, and I picked Sinner. I picked the upset there, and that one didn't go my way. Now I pick GoFan, who's the favorite, and that also doesn't go my way. So clearly I can't make picks these days. Um, But for Sinner, I, I really just think... He adjusted to the conditions a lot better than GoFan. GoFan mentally was not there. I even saw a quote from GoFan after the match where he just said, I felt like empty out there. Like he didn't really have the motivation. He didn't know like about all, you know, all the COVID tests, you know, was he going to test positive or negative? And, you know, I, I just don't think he had the motivation to really stay out there and grind with Sinner for five sets. And clearly you can tell the first set was very competitive, but then 0 and 3 after that, that's not the David Go fan we know. So that was surprising to me. Chorich was up. I mean, they split the first two sets, him and Gombos, and he Chorich was up 3-1 in the third set. I thought, okay, he's got the break here. He's going to start rolling. Um, and then all of a sudden he loses five games on the trot, loses that third set 6-3, and then he ends up going down in the fourth like that. He lost it mentally there too. And Alex Dimonor, I mean, we know Marco Cecchinato likes the French Open. This is like the one tournament all year that he actually gets psyched up for and can play good tennis at. Um, But again, Alex Dimonor went away in the third set. I mean, that wasn't the demon that we know, Alex. It just was not. Uh, Very disappointing to see that. I think Demon just knew over the course of those first two sets, seven, six, six, four, that he had so many chances. You mentioned all the breaks of serve and everything. Demon had his chances and he did not capitalize. And then come that third set, he said, you know what? I mean, everything's going against me here. The conditions suck. I'm not playing well. Cecchinato looked geared up. I mean, he credit to him, Marco Cecchinato played really well, I thought. But to me, it's more about Demon. And, you know, again, kind of going back to that motivation, were these guys really ready to come out and compete? I mean, when you think of GoFan, Chorich, Demonor, the one thing that they all have in common is just scrappiness, right? They're fighters. They're not the biggest guys, but they all move well. They're going to scrap. They're going to claw. They're going to win tough matches. And all three of them didn't do that today. It was it was quite surprising. You know, I would be lying if I said I watched either GoFan or Chorich. Chorich coming in the heat of our tournament, and I was on court line judging GoFan. The first match of the day, we were setting everything up. But we had just put on our 8 a.m. matches, and yes, the Chechenacho Demonor match was going simultaneously, so I fired up the hotspot to watch that one because I also had Alex Demonor as an ace of the day, and just his inability to hit through the court was stunning. And I mean, it that match turned into the boys' 12 match I was line judging, Maddie, in terms of there were drop shots, (laughs) there were lobs, there was just like, it was just ugly tennis, much like the Evans-Nishikori match, although I will say this to Cecchinato, his forehand is a weapon, especially on the clay, The the way he's able to change direction with it, the way he's able... Uh, to hit it as so heavy that it actually was still able to hit through the court, and then his backhand was yeah. a legit. It was a legit in this match. Demon Hour couldn't pick on it. You know, it just felt like Demon Hour was playing so much defense in this match. And to his credit, he is a good mover on the clay. But there was that four all fourteen deuce game in the second set, and I kept checking my phone app, and I was like, "Huh, this is clearly uh, this is clearly bugging out right now." It still says four all deuce, and no, it was just fourteen deuces. I think it was like a you know a twenty minute game, and you know Demon Hour lost it, and then he lost the set six four, and he was up a break in the first set at multiple times. He was up a break in the second set multiple times. By the way, he was up breaks at multiple points in his first round loss in Rome against Dominic Kopfer as well, but this continues to be a problem for Alex Dimonauer on non, particularly non-hard courts. What's the weapon? 
What's he turning to to win points easily? This loss today, a continued byproduct of that. And, you know, he and GoFan talk about their lack of confidence on the surface right now, just, you know, with all of the uncertainty going on. And all of that is fair. But, yeah, it was disappointing that neither of those guys, at a minimum, got a set. Like, you can't get a set in those matches. That was disappointing. Yeah. The Chorch match, I didn't see. Uh, but I'm pretty, he was up 3-0, right, in that, in that third set? 3-1. He was up 3-1 in the third set. I was watching it. He got the break. He actually looked like he was getting kind of fired up. I was like, okay. I mean, this was turning in the right direction. And then all of a sudden, I looked away. I turned on, you know, some other match. And all of a sudden, I checked back, and it's 6-3 for Gombos. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? I mean, that happened in like a matter of 10 minutes. It was crazy. Um, and then Chorich just couldn't couldn't get back on the tracks, man. I, I, again, just just bizarre. I mean, because these guys are all known for just being really gritty, you know, just hanging in there, even if they don't have any major weapons, you know, they're not going to overpower guys with their serves and come up with big aces and things like that. But all three of these guys, Gofan, Chorch, Demon, have won matches throughout their careers just by being gritty. And today, none of them had it. Yeah, no, it, it was a rough day again for those seeds knocked out on the day. Uh, Evans, Gofan, Chorch, and Demon Hour on the men's side. Now, of course, uh, there was another seed pushed to the brink on the men's side. We'll start there as we get into the rest of our matches on the day. Taylor Fritz. Ugh. Seven five seven six one six two six six three win for him over Mahak uh, to advance. Now there were two excellent five set matches on the day: Rodionov over Shardy ten eight, Landero fourteen twelve over Delbanis. That was our nightcap. That match just seemed like it didn't want to end. It seemed like both players were like, "No, you hold serve. No, you hold serve." Okay, neither of us will hold serve, uh, and that's what ended up happening down the stretch there. But those were the matches that went the distance in terms of the rest of those results on the day. Pretty straightforward. Zverev, Schwartzman, Wawrinka, Isner, Pear, uh, all winning their matches in straight sets. Uh, of the five setters and the straight set seeded wins, any of those, you know, stand out to you? Well, how about Diego Schwartzman? I mean, we had circled that match, Gruskin, against Kechmanovic and said, look, this is going to be a tricky, tricky first round match. And Diego just kept up that play that we saw in Rome. I thought that was very encouraging because I have Diego into the quarterfinals here myself. So I was happy to see that from him. Fritz got away with one. I mean, he really did. Um, I just, I don't know, again, with these conditions, the ball not going through the court, it's it's really an uphill battle for t for Taylor Fritz. I think he matches up with Radu Albot next, if I'm not mistaken, in the second round. And I think there could be problems there. I really do, just because Fritz, his serve doesn't seem the same. You know, out here, his big forehand, his groundies just don't have the same sting. Um, so it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough for Taylor. I'm glad he got through. And then those other two, probably the two... You know, most exciting matches, I thought, were the Rodionov, Shardy, and then Londero, Delbonis. Those were both really, really good matches. Breaks of serve, going back and forth, some high-quality stuff there, or higher quality um, from a lot of the matches that we saw today. So at least we got a couple of, uh, you know, those long four-and-a-half-hour five-setters on day one, Gruskin. Yeah, no, it was exactly what you're looking for. You had a little bit of everything on the day. Seeds knocked out, random five set first round. Not random in terms of the players being random, but random in terms of, oh, I didn't think that match was going to go the distance. And of course, they ended up doing so. It had just your little bit of everything you want on the men's side. I will add in Alex Zirov. Oh, he's going to be broken after that men's final. How do you recover after dropping a lead like that? He recovered just fine. He looked pretty just good fine. in that win yeah. over Novak. Down an early break break in that first set, you're like, uh-oh, nope, nope, nope. He woke up, and I think it's going to help him immensely to have David Ferrer in the box. I just, to have that presence in his life, match in, match out, that face to turn to. Is there anyone you would be more confident in than David Ferrer if he was like, hey, just stay steady? You'd be like, you know what? David Ferrer's absolutely right. I just need to stay steady. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely... That is a guy that you want on your side, man. I mean, again, just the the competitiveness, the steadiness, yeah, all of the above. Um, I agree. I agree. I think Zverev looked good. He's got a great draw now because of the demon loss. Um, so I, I, I see him advancing in this tournament. I really do. And especially 
um, with GoFan losing. So GoFan and Demon were both in his section of the draw there. Uh, so it's really opened up. I, I like Zverev to make a very deep run here. Probably the quarters. I'm not, and then, I'm, you know, lose to yeah. Rafa. I'm not saying Zverev's going to beat Rafa, but I'm no longer no, saying no. that Zverev's not going to beat Rafa. That's. Let me just say that. Let me just say that. Is that fair? I'm not saying he's going to beat him, but I'm no longer saying he's definitely not going to beat him. Because uh, he's know. not. Def- just- I mean, because the lefty, he's the, that backhand on this surface. You're just like, oh my god. You're, I, all I could think watching this match is, how are you going to get a ball by Alex Zverev on this court? Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. I mean. I don't think he's beaten Rafa. I just don't. Three out of five. I I don't see it happening here. But, uh, I mean, I sure as hell hope we get that quarterfinal match. Let me put it that way. That's the matchup that I want to see in the quarters. No doubt. Yeah. I just think Zverev could do the best Djokovic impersonation of anyone Nadal is going to face. Obviously, team's a completely different monster, but you look at these courts, you know, how do you beat Rafa? You have to try and wear him down, which again, is the most difficult task to ask in tennis history. It's why only one human has yep. been capable of accomplishing it, a human by the name of Novak Djokovic. But what's the one way maybe to hit through Rafa? How about you just hit 130 bombs down the tee and you know who can do that? Alex Virov. And so, again, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm no longer saying it's definitely not happening. And that makes me smile here on this opening Sunday. Um, Yeah, you know, Schwartzman, I thought Kess was going to give him troubles that he did not. That bodes very well for Diego moving forward. Anyone who thought Andy Murray and Wawrinka was going to be the fun match circa 2016, <laughs> I'm sorry you got your hopes up about that, but we saw that coming. Brutal. Great yeah, great for Kopfer, by the way, to get a four-set win over a tricky Antoine Huang. Kopfer was a hot pick. I'm sure in a lot of brackets, he the draw opens up and you have him advancing to a third or a fourth round. I think I do in mine, but... You know, it's always toughest to win that first match when you have a little momentum on your side. He was able to do that in four sets. Uh, good win for him. And then again, the rest of the men's results, pretty straightforward. Cope for Corda, Albot. By the way, great win for Sebastian Corda. I think the youngest American yes. man to win at the French Open since Andy Roddick. He continues to just ride, you know, his ascent into the top 200 and further. Uh, Radu Elbot, Stefano Travaglia, uh, Coria, and Bonzi, the other winners on the day on the men's side. Introducing Cope. Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. On the women's side, a bunch of fun matches as well overall. You look at... uh. Uh, the matches that went the distance. Not too many on the day, although matches, you know, maybe you could expect uh, Begu versus Teichman. Teichman, uh, or Begu winning that match in three sets. Knew that was going to be a battle. I was leaning Teichman, but qual- uh, credit to Begu in that one. Sasnovich knocks out Friedsum in three. Sharma over Blinkova in three. That's the lucky loser theory playing itself out, just being accustomed to these conditions. I really liked Blinkova coming into this one, so credit to her. And then my girl Buzkova, crushing, but she drops a three-set match to, obviously, former, I want to say, semifinalist at the French Open, but maybe it was quarter-finalist in Kanepi. Uh, you look at those three-set battles that went the distance. I expected that out of all of these matchups. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of these were, were like either or, right? And and I was mm-hmm. wrong on most of them. I leaned Teichman, I leaned <laughs> Linkova, I leaned Buzkova. The only one that I actually picked correctly was Sasnovich. I, I, I got that match correct, but the other three, um, I went the other way. I'm happy for Astra Sharma. I mean, let's put it that way. I didn't think she, I didn't pick her to win, um, but I'm happy to see her win. Shout out to, you know, college tennis there. That's good to see. Yeah, Buzkova. I mean, I was all in on Buskova. I thought that was going to be a win over Kaya Kanepi. Um, and then Teichman. I, I, I thought she was going to get it done. Some fun matches here. Um, I just, I happened to go the wrong way on my picks. Nothing new there. <laughs> fun, but heartbreaking. Fun, but heartbreaking. Yeah, those were the three set battles, the straight set ones, you know, straight set wins from Seeds, Halep, Azarenka, Merton, Sakari, Putin, Seva, Alexandrova, Stritskova, all dangerous. All players we knew were going to look good. We talked about it in our preview shows, so I think we can leave those results there unless you'd have anything, Maddie, you'd want to add on those seeds today. 
No, I don't think so. Luckily, I, I got all those correct. I picked those <laughs> <laughs> all, all correctly. So happy about the, those results and all, all pretty straightforward. A lot of those players look good. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. For Halep, was down an early break, fought back, and then to put up the bagel uh, in set number two. Yeah, she woke up. You woke the beast, and Simona Halep is exactly that, a freaking beast right now. So is Putin Seva, by the way. One and two over Flipkins. There will be an ace of the day at some point when Putin save as an underdog where I pick her. Let, let's just get that out there now. Um, other unseated players who look good. Jeannie Bouchard continues to look really, really good in 2020. Work her way back up towards that top 100. She gets a straight set win over Kalinskaya. The other winners on the day, Shmidlova, uh, Rakimova, Krejcikova, Podoroska, and Trevisian. Uh, in terms of the women's mat- uh, matches, Maddie, your final thoughts on day one. Yeah, pretty good stuff. Venus, again, another disappointing loss for her. I, I picked it. I picked Shmidlova in that one. So mm-hmm. I, I just, again, Venus right now, over 40 years old, it's just such a struggle. I mean, I I hope she's still enjoying just being out there competing. I mean, she has to be, right? Or else I don't think she'd yeah. still be doing it. But, I mean, it just looks rough, Gruskin. Like, I, I hate to tell someone, like, when it's time to move on and just you know, go to the next stage of your life. But I just don't know. It's a rough, it's rough viewing right now to watch, to watch Venus Williams. So I'm not surprised she went down. Shelby Rogers. I don't know. I guess I had a little more confidence in her. I picked her to win today. um, And that didn't go so well. Again, the conditions, you know, not very suitable for her game, uh, but I still thought she was going to get it done. But overall, um, you know, pretty good stuff here. Good win for Bouchard. I know you mentioned that. I didn't really see that coming. I didn't know if she was going to be able to get it done. Um, So we'll see what she can do. I'm upset with myself because, A, I knew Shelby Rogers would not play her best tennis under these conditions, and I just ignored it out of my fondness for Shelby. Me too. To something you said about Venus, because you made the key point there, we will never tell someone when it's their time to retire or not. It's completely up to them. And you look at Venus Williams, one of the game's greatest champions ever, what she has done not only on the court, but her fights off of it, whether it be for equal pay at the Grand Slams, whether it just be you know for under the broader context of fighting for equality, fighting for social justice. What she has meant to the game will never be forgotten, and it will never be properly stated how much she has meant. You know, you can't understate, or you can't oh, yeah. overstate it excuse me, uh, that fact. And, you know, you sort of mentioned it. If she's enjoying herself, go out there and play. Like, absolutely. Yeah. We want to see Venus Williams competing. We, you know, she was, what, two games away or a game away from beating Serena? And, you know, she beat Azarenka at the top seed open as well. We saw what Azarenka went on to do uh, in New York. At the same time, yeah, Venus Williams, uh, respectfully, respectfully, singles Grand Slam, it's just not going to happen anymore. No chance. No chance. No chance. Yeah. I mean, I don't even see her making, you know, I, I don't even see her making a run to the quarters anymore with how many other good women. That's what it is. We have. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it is. There's just way too many other players that are playing at such a high level. Venus doesn't have a chance anymore to make a deep run into the second week of a major. It's not going to happen. Yeah, and there's a difference between that and saying she could go to a WTA international or she could go even to a premier event in Indian Wells and make a quarterfinal run. She could absolutely do that. We're saying seven matches over the course of two weeks. That yeah, time no has, way. Yeah, it's just it's there are too many talented young women right now on tour. She's obviously a talented young woman herself at a youthful age forty, but of course, uh, just again, these players so freaking good. And so for her, again, Shmadova, that's a tough like that's a tough first round match for any player. And you see, oh, I'm taking Venus. Duh, no, that's unfortunately just not the case anymore. But those were our day one matches. You look at day two on Monday, a bunch of fun ones. You got to see me right out oh I should also mention quickly actually Giustino Courtney Mute unfinished there at Giustino up 4-3 in the third set they split the first two sets Maddie six love Mute first set seven six Giustino second you love to see that uh but in terms of your best matches on the day men's and women's let's start with the women what are the ones you'll be watching most closely yeah, so I was able to see your list uh, before we started this, but I've already got my list written down anyway. I had my list written down before yours, Cheater. so um, I'm just going to go with what I've got here on my paper. I've got Swatek and Vondrasova 
obviously. I think that's going to be a super fun match. Um, I picked Vondrasova, uh, so I expect her to get the win, but I think that could be an absolute battle, a fun one to watch. Layla Fernandez um, against Lynette, a seeded player, but I've got upset alert there. I really, really like Layla Fernandez, the young Canadian player. Um, I, I think she's good on clay, so I think this could definitely be upset alert, and I picked her in that match. And then how about uh, the All-American affair, CeCe Bellis against Bernarda Pera? I think that's a fun one to watch as well. So those are going to be the few um, that I've got pegged for tomorrow on the women's side. Yeah, no, there are a ton of good ones to your point. Uh, it, you know, on Layla Fernandez, we had Sandy Middleman on one of our preview shows on the Great Shot podcast. And good take, bad take, uh, hot take here as I try and fight off the sneeze. <coughs> bless you. Uh, bless me. Sorry. Anyways, leave all of that in, Westhoff. I tried to talk through it, Maddie. I really did. Um, but anyways, Sandy Middleman comes on the show. Well, our, yeah, anyways, uh, Sandy Middleman comes on the show. Keep your composure. And... He, he he goes, you know who's a dark horse, a player who I think could make a deep run here? And I was like, no, Sandy, who? And he goes, Layla Fernandez. I could see her making the quarterfinals maybe even better. Good take, bad take, hot take from Sandy. I think it's a hot take. I mean, I it's definitely yeah. not a bad take. I love Layla Fernandez. I really do. I just don't have her in the quarters. I think that's a little bit rich right now to say that she'll make the quarter. I think it's a hot take. I I think that is the definition of a hot take. I mean, I would love to see it happen. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And eventually, yes, absolutely, Layla Fernandez is going to be playing in the quarters of majors. I have no doubts about that. I just, I don't think it's going to be Roland Garros 2020 personally yeah no it's again far 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 too soon um but at the same time she could absolutely win this match against Lynette so I would throw her in the most interesting to watch and you know two others Kuznetsova Pavlochenkova which I'll talk about on GSP ace of the day that's going to be a fun one Yvonne Kerber the youngster Yvonne if we come out of tomorrow and everyone's talking about her that's not going to shock me at all she's a talented youngster who just gets lost in you know how many talented players there are right now on the men's side again the list you could go on and on and on the three I would turn to on my list I think we'll both have Hercot Sandgren right or at the top. I think Monfils Bublik is going to be really fun tomorrow. Tiafo Struff is a great one. Any others you'd add? Yeah, so the uh, I had four on my list. <laughs> Obviously, those three. Um, and then the other one, Nishioka FAA, man. We talked about this mm-hmm. at length on our preview pod. I just think this is danger zone. This is red alert, upset alert here the, the slow conditions, FAA, normally you would think would be able to hit Nishioka off the court. I'm telling you, Gruskin, and you know this as well now, after watching today, Nishioka is just going to be sitting back there, rolling balls back in, and FAA is going to struggle to hit through him. It's going to be a struggle with the conditions. I think it's a dangerous matchup, and I cannot wait to watch. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, though. In a, in, on a court when it's impossible to hit winners, Yoshi Nishioka, who hits a really nice ball in terms of his depth, in terms of the spin he can produce, in terms of the variety he can play with, but certainly doesn't, his pop doesn't, you know, uh, jump off the screen the way no. FAA does. Don't you think the FAA forehand might be one of the few strokes still big enough to hit through the court? And the fact that FAA has one of those at his disposal on a court where everything else is sitting short, doesn't that give him the advantage in this one? He's like I just think to be- on this court, it's it's like there's a threshold where if it's slow but still possible to hit a winner, then you like Nishioka. But if it's so slow that it's impossible to hit a winner for 99.9% of players, you want to be that 0.1% who it's not impossible for. FAA is that 0.1% in terms of talent. <sighs> But he's got to be on, man. He cannot yeah, be off true. at all. I mean, look at all these matches that we broke down today, Gruskin, mentioning 38 on four stairs, 41 on four stairs. That cannot happen. That just cannot happen. So if FAA is on, I mean, if he is zoned in, then yeah, I, I agree. And I think he can win the match. In fact, I picked FAA to win the match. However, I'm very nervous about it because if he is just, if he's a hair off, if the unforced errors start to creep in just a little bit, you know, and I know that Nishioka will have no problem. Just thank you very much. Give me those errors and I'll move on. 
Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I would add to that, though. You know, he can have 38 unforced errors, but it better be attached to a number that's over 50 in terms of winners. Like, that means he's been aggressive the entire match. And that means he's taking chances, and that is what we need to see from him tomorrow. But I agree, a match to be locked in on. Two more I'll throw at you of the American variety. Sock Opelka, which way are you leaning in that one? I'm leaning Opelka. I picked Opelka. I just think the serve, I mean, I think, obviously... Opelka can serve through anything, kind of like John Isner today, right? Where Isner didn't have any problems in his match. I'm leaning Opelka, but Sock, I mean, you mentioned the one, you know, 0.1% of people that have a weapon that can hit through the court. Jack Sock's forehand is obviously in that category as well, but so would the Riley Opelka serve. Um, So I'm going to go with Opelka cautiously, but. I mean, fairly confidently. I'll stick by my pick there. Give me Opelka, but I think we go at least four sets. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think minimum two tiebreakers. Minimum yeah, two tiebreakers. Yeah. Um, that's a fun one. Actually, I'm going to go put that in my GSP DraftKings Aces of the Day. I'm going to put the over three and a half sets on Opelka Sock. I can't believe I excluded that one from my list. That just makes me feel like I was too rushed again, so I'm going to have to go fix that. I completely agree with you. The other one, and this is one where I have an upset alert circled, not in terms of you know the most massive of names, but Michael Moe tomorrow over over Pierre Hughes Air Bear. What do you think about that? Love it. Love it. I, I picked the same thing. I picked Michael Moe. Um, I just think Air Bear. Where has Air Bear been recently, Gruskin? Like, we haven't seen him. I feel. Has he been injured or something? I don't know, but I just. I personally, I haven't seen a lot out of Pierre Hugues Air Bear over the last month, two months, however, since we restarted playing. Um, I just don't know if my confidence is there. Michael Moe got through qualies. I think he's feeling pretty good about his game. He will have played several matches in these conditions on the courts with the new Wilson balls. Um, Give me Michael Moe, man. I I hope he can get it done. I mean, Herbert, obviously, in Paris, is going to have some crowd support there. Um, You know, but I think Moe can get it done. I like your call of, uh, you know, upset alert, possibly. You just... I think you just nailed it, though. Mo knows these conditions, and Pierre Huzerbert just had a kid, so Mazel Tov, of course, to him and his loved ones, but he does not know the conditions. He is not match-tough. It's been a little bit since he has played any tennis, and that's significant. Yep. Michael Mo so match-tough right now. He's going to make the match as physical as possible, and Herbert's going to move forward. You know what Michael Mo loves nothing more than? Hitting passing shots from six feet behind the baseline, so I like Michael Mo in that one. That's when I have on upset alert as well. But those are all the matches for day two. We are looking forward to, of course, and you will be able to hear our recap of that action tomorrow night on this mini break podcast. Now, before we go, and thankfully this will not be the case moving forward, so we can focus only on Paris. But when we're treated to a Stefano Tsitsipas, Andre Rublev ATP final, I don't care if it's going on simultaneously with a Grand Slam event. Maddie, you know I'm going to give it a look. You know we're going to talk about it for a little bit here on the Mini Break Podcast. So, I am going to just say quickly, Andre Rublev, six, uh, uh, yeah, 6-4, 3-6, 7-5 win over Stefano Tsitsipas. He wins the fifth ATP title of his career, third of this 2020 season. He moves to 25-6 and six overall on the year, up to a new career high of 12 in the rankings on the precipice of the top 10, a legitimate contender to make the year-end finals, and Matty, a guy who you, me, Jamie got a little bit of slack back in the day when we were as high on Andre Rublev as we were, when we said he's got the sort of firepower to be an elite tennis player. Not good, not great, elite. Your thoughts on him winning this match over Tsitsipas? Yeah, congrats to Andre Rublev. I mean, he, to me, I I just, he's so much fun to watch. I just love watching his game. I mean, he's one of those players that I don't really care who his opponent is. I just like watching him because to me, it's exciting. I, I just get excited when I watch his game. Um, it's a lot of fun, man. That forehand is really something. And even on the clay, and I mentioned this earlier, but Rublev is a sneaky good clay court player. I mean, you would think obviously like faster surfaces with how aggressive he is 
that would be more of his style, but you can tell that Rublev grew up playing on a lot of dirt. I mean, he's comfortable. The movement is just fine on this surface. I've got him pegged into the quarterfinals, man, at Roland Garros. I hope he has enough juice, you know, left in the tank to actually get there. You know, for a while, I was debating him over Shapovalov to even make the semis of Roland Garros. Uh, but I have him losing in the quarters to Denis Shapovalov. I just, now the question is, can he recover? Like, after going all the way through Hamburg, can he actually make a two-week run here and make the quarters, make the semis at the French Open? It's going to be tough. Now, going three out of five, probably going to be playing some long matches here. Um, so that's probably the only thing that I would be concerned about. But as far as him winning his first ATP 500 uh, level event, I, I think it was awesome. And he looked really, really good in Hamburg. So a couple of follow-ups, and then we will wrap this podcast because, again, I know you got to get out of here at 6.30. I'm not going to keep you too much longer. You have my word, Maddie. But three things. One, in this match, what jumped out? The serve plus forehand combo. It is deadly on a clay court because if he has momentum on his side, if he's dictating as an opponent, you are so afraid of him getting a forehand because even if he's camped on the ad side going inside out, inside out, inside out, and you think you're ready for it, you're always in the back of your head thinking, uh-oh, is this the one he turns inside in on? Because if he does, it's going to be really hard for me to get track down that inside in ball. And even if I do, now you have the down the line forehand for Rublev. His patterns are just so clear and they're so effective. It also becomes so much more clear how much he's worked on that two-handed backhand. Everything we wanted from Steve Johnson, Andre Rublev has already done with his two-handed backhand in the first three years of his career. And, you know, he was a quarterfinalist, I think 2017 U.S. Open before he got injured, missed some time these past 18 months, obviously so exceptional. But it's so clear, and I've said this on a couple of podcasts, so I'll, I'll keep it brief, that he's just going to become the best version of himself, that barring an injury, he will be a guy who is thinking about tennis 110% of the time who it's that random Thursday in December and he's just tired after a long season grind but it doesn't matter for him he's like I'm gonna go train I'm gonna go get my workout in I'm gonna go get my hit in I'm gonna go slam a couple of forehands I'm gonna call it a day I'm gonna do my recovery I'm gonna take my life seriously because I want to be the number one player in the world and for a guy who had athletic limitations he has just gotten so much better as a mover and he does this little stupid thing and I say stupid stupid looking very stupid in the good connotation in terms of its effectiveness where he actually does slide into shots now it's very very yeah. ugly the way he slides into his forehand but he does slide into that forehand and it just shows me a guy who is through repetition become comfortable at the things he once struggled at yeah no question about it I said he's comfortable on the dirt I mean you can tell he grew up playing on clay just the way that he moves it's but quite obvious I'm but did he because he I mean former world junior number one but it's always screamed out okay that forehand on a hard court it's elite it, it the fact that it's elite I mean he, was he not a guy it's who struggled moving but was he not a guy who struggled movement wise on the hard court it was okay his forehand's so good that he's going to be able to compete in the hard court but on the other surfaces will he be able to move around enough protect that backhand side be able to find those forehands the fact that the answer is yes like I did not think he was comfortable on clay early in his career See, I did. I mean, I just remember okay. watching him back like 2017 Umag. I think his very first title came on yeah. play in, in Croatia. No, right. And I knew at that time, I, I was like, man, this guy is comfortable out here on the dirt. He doesn't look like a clay court player. I mean, when you watch him, it screams hardcore, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. But I, I think he's always been pretty comfortable on clay. And just overall in 2020, he's had a fantastic year. Let's just tip of the hat to Andre Rublev. I think... Only behind Novak Djokovic, if I'm not mistaken, in ATP wins on the year, Gruskin. You may have to check me on that one, but I think Novak um, may be the only player on tour that actually has more wins than Andre Rublev this year. So, I mean, he's just been, he's been tremendous, um, you know, even before the whole pandemic started and now continuing his play um, even afterwards. Can I throw a take at you? Last sure. take of the podcast, I promise. Okay, five best players on the ATP Tour in 2020 in no particular order, but let's be honest, in a particular order. Novak Djokovic won, Dominic Team 2, Alex Zverev 3, Andre Rublev 4, huge gap, everyone else. Um, Good take, bad take, hot take. 
Yeah. Maybe not I'm huge a- gap, but gap. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I mean, Rublev, to me, Djokovic and Rublev, there's no question those guys have been good all year. Zverev made the semis of of the Australian, backs it up with the final at the U.S. Open. He's got to be in there. Dominic, yeah, no, I mean, there's really no other way you can go. I mean, when you think about it, I, I, I would agree with that. I think that's a good take. Yeah, and I really hope we get to see Andre Rublev play in the year-end finals because, again, three yeah, titles now on the year. He's been really, really exceptional. So, yeah, shout out to Andre Rublev for getting that title. Now, to your point, he and Tsitsipas, here's what the next 24 hours look like. They go from Hamburg to Paris. They have to quarantine in their hours for 24 hours, wait for the results of their COVID test. Then they have to play a match on Tuesday. You wouldn't ask that on your worst enemy. That's the conditions they're going to have to face. Uh, but I think we we would also both agree if there's any two players on tour, you could be like, hey, who is the player you trust most to play 12 days in a row and win you the match the same way he did on day one as day 12? You'd be like, okay, I'll probably take Rublev first or maybe team first or Rafa first, let's be honest. Uh, then maybe team second, then probably Rublev third. I mean, these guys are, and then Tsitsipas fourth. Like these guys are fit as a fiddle. So, yeah. you know, of course it's a tough transition, but I think they'll be all right. Yeah, I do too. I think that, you know, if they can at least work their way into the tournament with the first couple of matches. Now, Sitsipas does play Munar. If you remember, Gruskin, that first round matchup that we starred just a little yeah. bit, um, Munar could make things. I mean, he could really drag that match out. I mean, Sitsipas does not want to have to play a five setter against Munar on Tuesday. So we'll see what happens. If they can just kind of work their way in the first couple of rounds, I think as we get into, you know, the third round, round of 16, they'll be fine. Yeah, no, I mean, it is something we will get the chance to see again as they play later on this week. And of course, so much action over these next two weeks at the French Open. We hope you follow along with us here at Cracked Rackets. Our daily recaps on this mini break podcast, our picks each and every night on the GSP Ace of the Day. Uh, You can find those in video form on YouTube as well. Super producer Daniel Westhoff putting his spin. So be sure to check all of that content out. Again, a reminder, shifting the schedule a little bit to adjust for Paris time we're going to try and record our aces of the day as well as our mini break recap as soon as the action ends each day we're going to get those pods out to you each night so that you have it for your viewing experience and your commutes uh, the next day of course the reason we are able to do that the support we get from our friends at midwest sports and aerobar go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com use that promo code cracked15 a shout out as always to our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out making all of this possible a shout out to you maddie it feels like tradition that we get to do one of these first day grand slam recaps again it's how we started doing these daily podcasts the origins of the mini break show so i'll give you the final word your last thoughts on day one here of this french open you you need to change any of your predictions uh, no, I'm not. I can't do that at this time. I, I got to stick by my guns. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a fun day. It was an interesting day. A lot of funky results. Um, I definitely expect things to heat up here, um, you know, with with some of these matches over the next few days or so. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think once we get, you know, we get to see Rafa, we get to see Novak, Dominic Team. Um, that's when, you know, we'll be like, all right, now we're playing the French Open. Let's go. Um, it should be good stuff, man. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Well, then, with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, Matt the Cracks to Koyak, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Maddie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. I told you we'd be done by 6.30, Maddie.